Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Happy Pill Podcast. I'm creating a new series called The Conversations. This is an important time to be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I, for one, am very excited about the guests coming onto the show for this series. There is so much that I need to learn, and I want to open up this platform for all of us who are interested in helping to make lifelong, positive, and sustainable changes with our beautiful sisters and brothers of color and create a world of true equality. These conversations are recorded using Zoom, so you will notice an audio change if you are listening to the podcast version. There is also a video compliment that you can find on my website or on my YouTube channel called The Happy Pill Podcast. If you are compelled, please share these conversations with your loved ones. Have these conversations with your loved ones. I hope you enjoy the guests and the information and stories that they are bravely sharing with all of us. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome back, everyone, to the Happy Peel Podcast. I'm excited that you're here, and I'm really, really excited and thrilled to start the conversations, a Black Lives Matter movement. This is a really important series for me as a person to continue to educate myself, to learn, and that we share and listen to our beautiful people of color. So I have a wonderful guest today in Nicole Pemberton, as you see there. Hey, Nicole. Hey. Hey, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I, I, I'm so thrilled about what we are going to be talking about. Um, so to give, friends, to give you an, uh, an introduction into who Nicole is, I've got this beautiful biography that I'm going to read uh, to you. So Nicole's background included dancing professionally on stages around the world, educating dance through many platforms, and presenting her own creative work through various collaborations. Nicole is a creator, visionary, speaker, and writer. She has obtained a diploma and her Bachelor of Arts in Dance and Performing Arts. She has also deepened her studies to complete certification in Reiki Levels 1 and 2, Crystal Healing, and Health Coaching. She is now a temple body artist through continued mentorship with Sophia Tom. Nicole has spread her wings with fusing expressive arts and wellness to become an embodied goddess coach and birth the goddess moves. Nicole is driven to express and share the wisdom she has learned. She stands for disrupting ancestral patterns, transforming the relationship with the womb slash body, divine sovereignty, ignite the pleasure and creativity within us, and advocacy for all. Through the goddess moves, Nicole weaves movement alchemy. I love that term. It's amazing. <laughs> Modern ancestral practices to guide and support massive trajectory shift in one's life through her in-person and online offerings. And we are going to provide this information at the end. So for all you listeners that are tuning in and wanting to know about more of Nicole and what she does, we're going to provide that information at the end of the show. So thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It really is a privilege for me um, to have you on the show and to start the conversations. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me and thank you for opening up your platform to dive into these conversations. Mm -hmm. Thank you so so much. I, like I said, this is a privilege for me. I'm here to listen, to learn, and we hopefully will educate as many people that are that are going to open that space for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first question that I always ask, do you feel safe in sharing your story? Yeah, absolutely. What well, part of my story do you want to know? <laughs> oh, girl, I want to know, know all of it. <laughs> we want to know all of it. We'll, we'll do as many episodes as we need to do. I, I don't, we we want to know. Um, the, the, yeah. like, you, it's, you're so diverse. You've got, you've got such beautiful history that... Oh my God, honestly, we've talked about this. We might do multiple episodes. So um, well, let's start to get right into it because right now, uh, the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter Movement, excuse me, um, is very important right now. It is, it is the hot topic. So this is something that we want to discuss. And that's why I wanted to open up these conversations. So how has this movement shaped your life right now? Mm, um. Yeah, well, the the movement is itself. For me personally, it hasn't affected me as much as it's affecting the world globally because what it is, Black Lives Matter, the movement, the organization, um, is 
is a representation of frustration, um, of, of a frustration of the value of, of life, of humanity, right? Where the value of life is, high, it's being viewed as higher for some and lower for others. And there, the, whole, the whole thing about saying Black Lives Matter, it's not denouncing everybody else. It's just bringing to the attention that the value of a Black person's life systematically gets put on the bottom. Right. And the movement has is is has sparked like listen you know we understand that everybody matters but you need to put us furthermore in the conversation of of mattering of being respected and being treated equally right so when i say it hasn't had that much of effect on me personally because this is something that I've talked about. This is something I live, you know, on a daily basis. This is not new to me, right? right. So um, whether, uh, for, for others, this may be very new or you're getting a different lens of perspective of how people live, how people are judged, how it's not just, oh, wow, I like this is happening. For some, unfortunately, their eyes are wide open and they're realizing what has been happening for over 400 years, you know, and we're, and some people are perplexed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're just waking up to this, right? But for people of color, this is not new, right? What is happening with the formation of the organization Black Lives Matter is, is that it is, it is waking people up. It is reigniting this call for equality, socially, economically, personally, professionally, systematically. So it's not enough to just say Black Lives Matter. It's not enough to have a hashtag and put it out there and be like, yeah, I support. Well, how, what, what, what do you support? Like, like if you, you can't just say that and then turn around and treat someone with a passive regard for their dignity, right? Right. So... As much as I applaud the organization and I applaud that so many people are getting behind it, um, the work still continues because it's not just it's not just saying it. It's being a part of the open dialogue, like what we're doing here. It's going out and getting the edu- and, and educating yourself. It's asking the questions, it's having the conversations. And then it gets even deeper because it, like the, like it's being said, it's systematic. Yeah. So when we look at the systems, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, it goes, it, it goes deep. It goes in our behavior. It weaves in how we view color. It weaves into the language of, you know, if people say, I don't see color. See, that is already passive and disempowering already because we understand, I understand what you say, but I don't see color, right? It's like, okay, I see the human, I see the person, Mm -hmm. fine. However, you are still disempowering the identity and the background of the person that is in front of you. So if you say, I don't see, I don't see brown. Well, you, well, you don't see white either, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> yep. you, then you, then you basically, um, disavow my experiences where I come from 
because you don't under, you're not understanding the, 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 the lens and the perspective and the experience and the existence. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Of my background, mm-hmm. just as, as, as anybody would want their background and their heritage to be respected. Right. Everybody wants to be treated equally yes. and fairly and respectfully and with human dignity and, and with, and, and, from the, the highest good and the highest love, any spirituality or any, um, uh, any spiritual um, practice that anybody subscribes to, the highest form of devotion is love. Now, you can't just say love for X, Y, and Z. Right. <laughs> it's love for all across yeah. the board. And that, and equality and dignity and respect is the core of what is being called right now. It is the core of, from the frustration that people of color are um, experiencing and saying enough is enough and saying, look, we as a humanity need to realize that we are humans, we are humans with different shades and different backgrounds. And we need to get back to that. There are some people like, you know, I'm sure your listeners, I'm speaking to the choir, right? It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. or wanting to get into a deeper understanding, right? And I'm not trying to convert or, or convince anybody. Everybody has their own opinion and their own experience. But we're in a space right now where we, we're being called to listen, to deeply hear, to understand, and to get beyond, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. You, 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 what do you mean? What are you saying? And then nobody's being heard. Right. Right? It's very hard to sit in conversations with with opinions that you don't agree with. However, there's got to be an open space to allow a deeper understanding and a deeper awareness and knowing, oh, I never thought of it like this before. Right. To be able to come together in this, in this unity that we all want. We all mm. want this unity. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel um, nurtured, loved, respected. Right? When you, when you have a family and you look at your baby or you see a family member, a loved one, all you want is that for them to be loved and to feel safe. So when we play into the space of fear with narratives that could be, that are false or narratives that skew the conversation one way, Mm -hmm. instead of play, instead of, what are we visioning? What is a space of like, of, 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 from a place of fear to a place of love? What are we envisioning for ourselves in humanity and in the community? Right? Mm-hmm. So, excuse me. That is why I, I say the movement of Black Lives Matter, it hasn't had a huge effect on me because I live this, yeah, right? I support it, right? Because it's really just understanding that, look, people are being put, like if you're on a scale, certain groups of people are being put higher up on that scale. Let's call it out, white people. And then other groups of people 
are being put on the lower scale. So all we wanted, all, all that we want is to make it even. Yeah. So we're all equally valued. Yeah. That's it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, wow. I absolutely concur. Thank you so much for giving that wonderful explanation. So let's start right from the beginning about the foundations of racism, mm-hmm. right? Let, let's start there. Let's talk about it. I think mm-hmm. some people are unaware mm-hmm. of, of the origins. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Um, the origins, I feel, stem from a hierarchy. They stem from power. It stems from a belief and, again, a, a, a belief of uh, a narrative of fear and a narrative of we are better than and a disconnection from um, a disconnection from the broader community of being able to integrate. Um, I feel that slavery, um, shipping people, actually, no, let's, let's go even further back. Mm-hmm. I feel that even beyond, beyond slavery, um, slavery paid, played a big part in it, but if we go back to, um, wasn't it the Spanish inquisition? Like that's where well, it really yeah, started. Like when you have different, uh, different, uh, like the settlers, different explorers and, uh, people going out to different countries and basically conquering saying, okay, this is our land now and disregarding the first people, the first nations people, the indigenous people that were there first, right? So instead of coming to integrate and live, like learn from each other and live together or, you know, or, or I don't know, find another piece of land that doesn't, <laughs> that's not occupied by anybody, right. you know, there was a system of pillage, conquer, we're, we, again, a hierarchy of we're going to give you a better life. Mm. And my question is, who asked you to say that they're not living a, a good life? Right. You know, the indigenous people have a very deep um deep relationship to the land they use what uh, and resources are used as they are needed there is a steeped ancestral uh, uh, tradition that is passed on there is a steep community there is family and there are there are beautiful spiritual traditions in each culture now because of um the rise of Christianity and nothing's wrong with Christianity, but I'm saying to put it into context, the rise of Christianity and the rise of um, um, nations, other countries, you know, really building themselves up and fortifying themselves in this uh, quote unquote way of life. Right. And here they come, you know, to, to a land where, you know, it's occupied by the indigenous people. And they come in and say, we're going to, we own this land. Now we conquer this land. You either work with us or we're going to move you out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, and then, and so when they look at, let's say when they look at the ancestral practices and, and things that are not, you know, that are foreign to the eye. And so the, the, like the, the, the people that are conquering look at that and like, Oh no, that's not right. That's not appropriate. That's dangerous. That's possession. That's this. No, that's not proper. You know, this is not in alignment with our spirituality. No, we, we have the right thing. You, you need to follow us because we our, our way is better. Right. Mm. And here they are. And here the ancestors are saying, no, 
you know, uh, we are not going to do that. And here they are saying, well, if you're not going to do it, we're going to make you. And so here's like the first wave of um, genocide and oppression against against the indigenous people in whichever um, nation, right, around the world, right? So there is a sense of, there is this sense of like, well, we know what's best and you don't know anything. Yeah. Or what you're doing is like, wow, that's just looks weird. No, get, it, get, on, the, get on the program or we're going to make you. So there, there has yeah. been this before slavery, there has been this um, programming. There has been this um, uh, behavior, you know, uh, and if you go further back, we weren't even like that. Right. If you mm-hmm. go way back, even further, human society really was a, a utopia. Right. Men and women communities respected each other, lived together, co-create, um, created beautiful things, respected the land, all of that. Right. But there was no hierarchy. There was an equality. Right. Right. And then a sense of entitlement started to come, Mm. you know, later on, right. Mm -hmm. That they have the right, you know, to overtake and overpower, you know, Mm -hmm. and control and force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then when you fast forward, when you come to um, uh, Europeans um, shipping people from Africa, to work on the land for sugar or corn or cotton or domestic work um, or industrial work, right? Things that were seen as, okay, how do we build up and make more money and build up our, uh, like our nation, our community, uh, business and all of that? Well, we need more people. Where can we get more people? So when you have the shipping of, the auctioning off and shipping of people and they're being shipped in not like, you know, you stand up, you're on a boat and you go. They're being shipped in massive containers and, and layered on top of each other with chains on their feet, right? Chains on their hands. And you've got a slab of wood right, like right there. And you're there and you're laying like that for weeks, right? There's no airplane, there's no hype, you know, you're traveling by boat. So you're going from the continent of Africa. So like we're in North America right now. We know that it takes almost 24 hours to fly to Africa, right? So by boat, you know, that is... That is weeks. You're being peed on. You're being like, you know, you smell like you, you, you're not getting a bath. You're, you're basically being treated as less than to have a human being lie there like that. And then say, you have no rights. We're going to rename you. You must follow this religion. Um, this is your master, right? And saying, this is your life now. And it is a privilege that we give you um, a space to live. And we will give you the scraps so you can eat. You have this, you know, you might have a bed. And... Then you have the so-called master in a pristine home, 
food in the in the fridge or food in well not it wasn't fridge but food in you know your containers um and you're living the so-called good life right so the foundations have been systematically okay we people that subscribe to themselves to say well we are um the best and do whatever whatever research and proof to say well you know um well we think this way they think that way we do this way they look that way you, you know and put them in a place where okay well you work for us now you're part of the economy right and then that's that's where the pro, that's where the, the programming has been, right? Um, when you get into film, there was a film called Birth of a Nation. Yeah, and it was one of the first represent like film films that where you have this representation of. Caucasian as the savior, as the all good, everything. And the black man, which the person was not even black, he was painted. Yeah. Um, is presented in a space of fear of robbing, raping, um, violent, angry, you know, like, don't let that person near your, your kids, you know, the, ah, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So you have that steep, you know, you have that visual representation and then you have that representation that goes on for a bit, you know? So it's the dangerous narrative that is untrue, that has been perpetuated way past 400 years. So this is why this has been such a deep uprooting of, up, it's like trying to uproot one of those big fat trees yeah. where the roots are so deep. And that's what we're doing right now. We are uprooting those roots that, have, are, that are deep within the earth. Wow. Mm -hmm. You could see, I mean, just hearing you describe all of that, I don't know how someone can think that this is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I sit here with tears and I am feeling horrified and disgusted mm -hmm. at the treatment of of people. Mm -hmm. um, I'll never understand that mm -hmm. logic, that thinking, and I'm grateful for that. But you are so right with, sorry, um, with having to uproot it. it, it in, in my head, I'm seeing this beautiful tree and it's, it's like in order to uproot it, you actually have to expose it. Mm -hmm. You've got to expose these roots, mm -hmm. right? To lift it entirely. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing those those powerful words. Mm -hmm. And um, whew, <laughs> this is this is the truth. This is the shit. This is what what we need to hear, mm -hmm. and we need to hear it. We need mm -hmm. to listen, mm -hmm. right? Because as you're speaking, there's so much pain that I can feel that's coming through. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so all I can say is thank you for, mm. for sharing that. Okay. Um, moving on to, uh, wanted to talk about uh, the misconceptions that have existed, especially in regards to women mm -hmm. and women of color. Can, can we talk about those misconceptions? Mm -hmm. Um. Hmm. <laughs> oh Big question. Start with that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a water break? Have a water break. <laughs> uh, 
the misconception. Um, okay, so I'll give you one that's really present right now. Uh, the misconception is that all black women have this, um, this deep fortifiable armor. Like mm -hmm. this, this strength is just uncomparable to any other woman in the world, right? And the, the, how the strength is rooted is it is, you know, it is strong. But the misconception is that we can tolerate pain better mm. than, you know, our, our other counterparts. And to a, a, an extent, there is truth to that. But again, it's a misconception because let's say we're in the hospital and we're feeling pain we are um, maybe about 70% not taken as seriously as our non-color uh, non counterparts because of that, that bias, that misconception that, that is being... Uh, narrated saying that we can tolerate pain more. We have a higher tolerance of pain right. and that's just untrue. So when you talk about um, women going, black women going through the birthing process, right? Um, why there is a higher mortality rate among black women, right? We are not being heard. We're not being heard and we're not giving the same uh, treatment as our Caucasian counterparts. There's this false assumption then that, that exactly. black women can tolerate this. And it's like, oh, yeah. we don't need to treat them the same way. We don't need to prescribe the same kind of medications because they're strong black women. So, And it's not, and it's not like, um, you know, and I, I'm not... And I want to preface this by saying I'm not bashing the medical system. Oh, but yeah, yeah. there is... There and the, there are statistics and there are stats that back this up. So it's not just a oh, it's not just a made up thing or an observation that oh, you feel this way, but no, we're doing our jobs. I understand everybody in the medical field is doing their jobs. What I'm saying is is that based on the statistics and based on people's experiences. And based on what is happening, there is, it, it shows that there is a unspoken bias um, when people of color, when their bodies, when they come in and they're expressing pain, they're expressing discomfort, it's not treated as, sometimes it's not treated as a immediate thing. You need to address this now. Oh, this, and instead of, oh, it can wait. They can handle it. You know, it's like, no. If a white woman comes in there saying, I need, I, I'm experiencing pain, there's immediate attention. If a black person comes there and there, uh, or a person of color that says, I'm experiencing pain, there's uh, sometimes there will be like, oh, just, I'll oh, just sit over here and we'll get to you. So there is a delay and sometimes that delay is costs of life, mm -hmm. you know? So again, it comes back to that human value piece, right? Right. Valuing everyone that, uh, that needs to be helped, that needs that treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is, that is one, uh, misconception, um, to, towards, uh, black women. Um, the other is that, <laughs> that when we express our emotions, if we get angry, if we get passionate, um, or we, we, uh, we really, I don't know, we get loud or expressive. That, yeah. We're labeled the angry black woman, mm -hmm. you know? as opposed to maybe somebody else that maybe expresses the same way, 
oh, they're really in touch with their feelings. Oh, they're just expressing their emotions. I mean, it can go across the board with, uh, I mean, with like how men express themselves in public and then how women express themselves in the public. And you have two different emotions, sorry, the same emotion, but you have two different, very, very different reactions of how they're perceived. Right. And the judgment on black women is that they're, they're, they're explosive. They're dangerous. They're out of control. They're unstable. Yeah. 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 Where is this coming from? I feel that I personally do not know, but there is, um, when you look at behavior and what people deemed as proper behavior and what is like unruly, uncivilized behavior, right? And what the unwritten narrative of what that is, right? So to be fully expressive in what you're feeling and to just like, no, not just sit there and take it you know, or all of a sudden you're disruptive, you know, all of a sudden, well, you're making trouble now, you know, one, just go with the flow. And we don't do that. (laughs) Well, I I don't think it's, and it's not just with, with people of color, you know, I, 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 you know, across the board, um, Across the board, there is, uh, you know, people in, in every uh, like cultural background, you know, like if you're very expressive, if you don't hold things in, you know, you're going to say what you're going to say, no matter if you're white, black, Indian, whatever. Right. Um, I feel that sometimes you see you, it, it gets highlighted in the people of color in the black community more for some reason. And do you find that's more onto the women as opposed to men? Um, There is a difference. There is a slight stigma uh, towards the women, but I think it's, it's equal for both men and women. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Something you had brought up in our prep that I found quite interesting, and that was the word of imprint. Mm -hmm. You had talked about imprinting. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to describe this, uh, but I also wanted to, if you can explain how that imprinting has affected uh, you yourself and also Black women. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Um, so the imprint is, uh, how I describe it is, uh, it's like when, how your brain registers and understands Um and also stores a memory, right? So let's say you've gone through like the most ecstatic, happy experience, you know? Let's say, you know, you've had a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Uh, The weather was astounding. It was warm, it was sunny. You're, you know, you're you're with a group of friends and uh, the food is good, you're communicating, you're laughing, you're smiling, there's good music on. And it was, you know, everything about that evening was just spectacular. You're like, oh, like this is one of those, like one of those evenings that's in the book, in the books, because that feeling you have, it was just so magical. Or, you know, something happens like in that, in that, uh, in, in that evening that just like, you know, you see your parents dancing and laughing and enjoying and the kids are playing and you just, you see that moment. And it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is what life is, right? You think this is what life is. This is just beautiful. This is glorious, mm-hmm. right? That is an imprint, right? That is an imprint on your mind because when you think back of memories that, that make you smile and, and make you feel good and you want to go back to that feeling, the brain will process that and, and, and will remember it. And then as you think of it, it's just like, yeah, you feel those warm feelings. You feel those bubbling sensations. You feel that, that joy, that presence of what that, that event was like. So that is creating an imprint on your brain to say, this is what the good life is. This is what I'm striving to, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so when we talk about this larger conversation of inequality and injustice um, towards people of color, um, when we talk about the imprint, the imprint is in the behavior. The imprint is in the language. The imprint is in the environment. The imprint is in like what you see on how you feel and how you've been treated. Um, all the imprint is involved in the five senses, right? So that's what I mean by an imprint in the foundation mm -hmm. or in a behavior. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in, in regards to, into, into black women, um, you had told me the story last time of Sarah Bartman. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if this is in any way that can be connected. Um, I don't know. Her story was so freaking powerful and I was doing my research on her. Mm -hmm. Would you say that her life in any way was imprinted at all? What she had experienced? Perhaps I'm, I'm question. Uh, perhaps I'm not saying that correctly. Um, well, she had a, I mean, a, how I got to know Sarah Bartman um, through um, her life and what, what she lived through was actually through art. Uh, my friend, Sharon Harvey, who's a beautiful dancer and choreographer, um, <clears throat> was doing her master's in, dan uh, in dance and um, her choreographic piece um, was the, the, the theme and the subject was on Sarah Bartman and the complexity of her life and how her body was used for um, scientific research. And, how, and just how her body was viewed um, in that space. Just going through her story and reading and dancing it and really feeling her energy put an imprint on me because of understanding the, the social... Um, context of looking at a black woman's body and observing it, taking it in, acknowledging it, but also viewing it. For Sarah, she was viewed as an object. Mm -hmm. She was viewed as an, an anomaly. She was viewed as a, oh, you know, this is what, this is, this is, this is what a black woman's body is. Look, look at it. Like she was viewed as a circus act. She was put in the circus. Um, her, she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a movie star. So they so the person that brought her to, um, to Europe, um, she was in South Africa before, convinced her, come with me. I'll make you a movie star. You'll act, you'll sing, you'll dance. I'll take you there. And that's what she wanted. So she left South Africa and went with this group of people. She was paraded as a circus act because she had big breasts. She had a bigger size bottom that was bigger than most. Her vagina lips, her vulva were bigger than most, right? So compared to um, a smaller sized human that was considered the normal size, she was considered as a freak show and was treated as such, right? Why Sarah was 
it really, it like struck me to the core. And there's a movie about this, uh, it's called The Black Venus or Hot and Taut Venus. I don't know if it's still on Netflix or not, but it's a French movie and gives you a visual context. Um, and there's many books written about her. Why this left an imprint on me is because we're, we're in this now, there's, there's a lot of, lot of things happening within cultural appropriation of like the fetishing and fantasizing of um, parts, different parts of, of a woman's body, right? A different sh styles of hair, lips, uh, small, medium, very pronounced and full, you know, breasts, small, medium, you know, very like bountiful, okay? The hips, right? Either having like uh, straight or having that curve. And then the, the fetishizing, the, the fetishing of a bottom, like the perfect onion size, as they say, bottom, right? So what's very interesting is that then before all these qualities of a black woman, of a darker skinned woman across the board in different cultures, are now being celebrated when for the longest time they were rejected, right? So the, there is a conversation of that appropriation, you know, or this like this, you know, everybody deserves to love their body as is you know, however you're shaped and however you're curved, however, however the body grow, grows into, right? Mm -hmm. That is their body. You celebrate it, you love it, you desire it as best as, you know, that's yours, mm -hmm. right? What is interesting in the social narrative is that there's an embracing of features of not just with people of color, but with all, um, all people, especially in Caucasians, that is like, you're making money off of what you rejected before. Right. So there's that deeper dialogue of that and, and reconciliation in that, you know? Um, and people are like still dying. Like if you look at the tr um, trans community, yeah, right. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, people, humans that are, are figuring out who they, whether they want to be a man or a woman, um, and if they're being a woman, um, are dying because of illegal procedures to widen the hips, that plump up the butt, you know, it with with substances that are poisonous to the body. Yeah. Right. Um, or this idea of, you know, a big butt and a big hips is going to get you more money if you're a model, if you're in the entertainment world. And so um, this, 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 uh, this narrative of like viewing the body in a certain way is like, oh, that, that that's supposed to be um, um, more beautiful instead of appreciating um, what is already there. Mm. Like for instance, like uh, uh, hair, you know, there's, there's a big conversation right now of like before, you know, if a black person had dreads or, you know, braided or natural hair, it was considered not proper. Wow. And, and, and from kids, kids to adults, right? 
So there is the, there's this, like this dialogue of like, of seeing what is, what is, you know, beauty, being able to um, own and accept our own beauty as it is, right? Um, so that has been a deeper conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So with Sarah Bartman, um, she left an imprint on me about viewing the body, owning the body, loving the body, loving all the features, you know, like that's always been taught since I was a kid. Um, but I got another perspective on that by um, really looking at some of these things that happened before mm -hmm. and how the conversation is now, you know, on how, on what we as a collective deem, um, oh, that's sexy. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's that. I want that. I can get it. Let me pay for it. Okay. What? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how does that make you feel when people want to augment their body uh, based on the appearance of others, and especially of women of color? Is that a fair question to ask? It's their choice, really. I mean, I'm not one to to step be uh, to have an opinion on how how you want to feel good in your own body. Mm -hmm. You know, like anybody that does plastic surgery is just like, well, if it makes them, you know, if it if it's a life saving thing or if it's just a thing that will make them feel more comfortable and just give them more confidence, you know, as long it like do it safely, get a good, you know, uh, practitioner to do what you need. Um, it's it really it's everybody's it's their own prerogative. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's their own prerogative. Um to to make whatever if they feel like they need to need to make adjustments mm -hmm. um you know do just do it safely yeah <laughs> i was just wondering if there was like a link to it right because you were talking about well you know before it wasn't accepted and now it's accepted mm -hmm. you know uh mm -hmm. before it wasn't liked now it's loved mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. i was just wondering to see how you feel about that you mm -hmm. know um given the history um, how I feel about it is I, I kind of, I look at it and I observe and just, I, I just like, Hmm, isn't this interesting? But, uh, again, every, everybody is individual. Mm -hmm. What, uh, how, how they want to, how they want to take care of themselves is their prerogative. Right. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Perfect. Yeah. Fine. And we're going to wind down this first episode um, already because we're going to go into the second half and talk more about um, wonderful things. I don't even want to talk about it because I'm like, oh, these are the questions for the second half. Uh, so yeah. So we're going to just wind up this first episode, let people absorb all of this beautiful information, and then we're going to come back in the second episode. So hang on, my friends. We're going to, we're going to continue. Thanks for this one, Nicole. Yay for awesome. part two Thank coming you. up. Yay. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know is in immediate need of help, please contact your local authorities distress center, or professional care provider. If you'd like more information on this episode or other topics, go to my website, UrsulaYou'reDone.com.